Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to have you speak to us. And we pray now that we would listen and learn so that we can know more of who you are and how much you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our 12-hour drive from Nairobi, Kenya, to Tarime in Tanzania, we saw many sheep and many shepherds. I was actually writing this sermon on my laptop in the back of a coaster bus, and as I was sitting there typing away, working out what to say about sheep and shepherds, I just kept on seeing sheep and shepherds. Uh, not quite the same as we have here in Australia, where you have giant, big sheep farms with thousands and thousands of sheep. What we saw time and time again was probably a dozen or so sheep with one shepherd and usually just walking on the side of the road as the sheep would grab some food and the shepherd and they just did their thing. They were small little flocks and they had a shepherd and you can be sure that the shepherd knew the sheep very, very well. Maybe they even gave them names. Who knows? But in Australia, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is not quite as close. We don't even call them shepherds, we call them sheep farmers, which, which even shows us more of that depersonalised kind of way in which farmers in Australia relate to the sheep. When we try and understand what it means for God to be our shepherd, the way we need to think is a little bit more like they are in Africa where they have just a handful of sheep that they know very, very well. Less like it is in Australia, where they're just microchipped and a number, and then very soon food on the plate. But ironically, there are many, many more sheep in the shepherd's care, the divine shepherd's care, than there are in any sheep farm in Australia. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions of people who are followers of Jesus. And yet the relationship between Jesus, the shepherd, and those hundreds of millions and billions of sheep is even more intimate than those sheep farmers I saw walking down the side of the road in Tanzania and Kenya. Today, we're going to learn a bit more about what it means to be one of God's sheep and what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. Uh, Jesus talked about this and he said some stuff about being our shepherd but it's been a theme that has gone right throughout the Old Testament. And it's one of the many situations where we see that as followers of Jesus, it is so good to have our heads around the Old Testament. Because Jesus would come up and say, hey, I'm the good shepherd. And people would go, ah, yeah, we know all that stuff about what God does with his sheep and what it's mean to be a sheep and why we need a shepherd. And They understand that because they understand the Old Testament. So the challenge that I've got today is to try and give you a bit of an understanding of about six Bible passages throughout the Old and the New Testament that teach us all about what it means for us to be God's sheep. And I want to say right from the outset, it is good to be one of Jesus' sheep. It is an awesome thing because of his love for us and his care for us. But we're also going to learn today about how important it is for his earthly pastors to pastor their flock well. You know, in Australia, how do we move sheep around? It's usually with sheepdogs. The sheepdogs are pretty smart. They know that if they can get one of the sheep to change their mind and move in a particular direction, then pretty much all of them will follow very quickly. Sheep are sheep because they actually follow each other. 
and they can easily be led astray. And that is why sheep need really good shepherds. And that's why we need to have the Lord as our shepherd. Because as we sang before, the famous servant song of Isaiah, chapter 53, we all like sheep, we all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All of us by nature have gone astray. It all started in Genesis chapter 3 when we read that the very first sheep, Adam, chose to go his own way. He went astray. He didn't follow his shepherd, the Lord God. And instead he said, I'm not going to follow the shepherd, I'm going to follow the snake. And so he ate the apple and that first sheep went off in the wrong direction and all of us have followed that sheep away from the Lord. And that is how sin came into the world. All of us have gone astray. And all of us need a good shepherd to lead us away from the danger of hell and back into the safety of heaven. But before we go any further, I wonder how you feel about being called a sheep. If I could have said to you, what kind of animal would you most like God to think of you as? I doubt it would naturally be a sheep. If we sort of think about the African animals, I think the one I'd like to be would be a lion. You know, kind of dignified with a big mane and a big mouth of teeth so that if anyone picked on me, I could ah, that kind of thing. And, you know, the strong, the leader, all those things. Or maybe a giraffe, uh, not quite as, as impressive as a lion, although so tall and amazing and majestic, and they can see so far and are aware of the dangers and know where they need to go because of that vantage point. Or perhaps it might be a, a rhinoceros with the strong kind of bulletproof skin you could drive a truck at that thing and they'd sort of say, really? Uh, maybe I'd like to be a rhinoceros. That, that sense of strength and power. Or maybe a cheetah. A cheetah who can run faster than almost any other animal. doesn't matter what you bring at the cheetah, the cheetah will just run a million miles an hour. But a sheep? Mm, not really quite as impressive. You know, people don't travel from other parts of the world to visit our sheep. I mean, sure, we'll go and have a look at giraffes, but why would we want to go and look at a sheep? Sheep are not that impressive, not very smart, not very independent, and desperately in need of a shepherd. What a mess if we had a bad shepherd, but how good that we have a good shepherd. Want to learn what it's like to have a good shepherd? Well, the natural one is Psalm 23 for us to turn to. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. It's a really famous psalm. It's probably the most famous psalm of all. And in it, we read about what it is that the good shepherd gives his sheep. The good shepherd gives rest. The good shepherd brings leadership. The good shepherd brings strength. The good shepherd brings guidance. Now, all these things that the sheep desperately need, the good shepherd says, I'm giving this to you. And with all of this, it brings him honour. But it's not just for the good times. 
This psalm particularly talks about a hard time. Verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. In the darkest times, he protects and comforts his sheep. Pretty much every single time that I conduct a funeral, we will say together Psalm 23. And there are many occasions where here in this church, right here there has been a coffin. And right there in the front rows in particular have been the families of those who are feeling the pain of the grief more than anyone else in the room. And at that time, to hear these words from the Good Shepherd, these words here that say that he protects and comforts his sheep. It is a beautiful picture. Because sometimes people who are normally really strong and really in control of their stuff, they come to a funeral and they lose it. People who could normally walk confidently into the room are, are, are brought down this aisle with, a, with an arm around them or someone holding their hand and guiding them to their seat because they are in such a mess. At that time, to hear these words that... Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. There is great hope there. But there's further hope as well in verse 5. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. They've got great hope because the Lord is their shepherd and they are the sheep. This is what life should be like. But let's be honest with ourselves. It's not really like that now, is it? Many who trust in the Lord as their shepherd do still want Many who trust in the Lord as their shepherd do not have rest. Many who trust in the Lord as their shepherd are afraid. If you've been following Jesus for a while, or maybe just a little while, you'll know that what is described here of the relationship between God and his people, what it's like to be a follower, what it's like to be a sheep, you're thinking, hang on a second. It's not like that for me now. I still want, I don't have rest, and I am afraid. And so you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? Am I a bad sheep? Maybe all the rest of the sheep are having a great time and I'm having a horrible time. Or is it that God's not really my shepherd at all? Is there something missing here? Because this wonderful promise of this wonderful psalm just feels a little bit hollow. Does it mean that God's promise in Psalm 23 is not true? Is he not giving what he promised to his people? And are you and I missing out? Well, that's not the case at all. God keeps his promises. And as is so often the case, the issue is the timing. This was written originally to David, David who wrote this himself, described what it was like for the Lord to be his shepherd. 
But even as he wrote it, you could see that it, it didn't describe David's life perfectly because he still did want, he didn't have rest and he was afraid. This psalm comes true when Jesus returns and when we go to be with him in the new creation. This is when we experience it in the full. But now it gives us an idea of what to expect. So how does it work then? Well, we need to be people who wait for this promise. We need to trust in the Lord, obey the Lord, and we need to do that to have good under-shepherds. What's, what's an under-shepherd? Well, the Lord is the shepherd, but then he also has other shepherds, other pastors. So I'm a pastor of you guys, my flock. And, and, and if you're a youth leader or a children's leader, you are a pastor of a smaller flock, a younger flock. If you're a growth group leader, you are a leader of a flock. If you go and visit someone with your Bible and you pray with them and you give them pastoral care, then you are being a pastor to them, a shepherd to them. And so it's so important that those who do that shepherding under the good shepherd actually do a good job because they can be very, very dangerous if they don't. But sadly, that is too often the case. Not all shepherds of God's flock have been good shepherds. And that's what brings us to the second part of the Bible we're looking at today. The second part of the Bible from the prophet Ezekiel. He spoke at a time when God's flock had been scattered. Instead of having the protection of a shepherd and the comfort of the flock, they were all scattered away from safety. And this word came to the prophet Ezekiel at a time when God's people were no longer living in Jerusalem. The temple had been destroyed. The people of God had been scattered amongst the nations. And they were experiencing pretty much the opposite of Psalm 23. They were scattered and scared. They were in danger without a shepherd. And why did it happen? It's because they had bad shepherds. God's people were scattered by bad shepherds. Shepherds who led God's people astray. Shepherds who led them to love idols. Shepherds who did not love the Lord. And so the Lord scattered them. And he did that as a just and a right punishment for their rebellion. And they got what they deserved. And now they lived under a foreign ruler in a foreign land, a leader who did not love the Lord as his, as his um, shepherd. So what's God going to do about it? Well, let's hear his promises. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. You see, we've got this hope here that the Lord is the shepherd and he will go and find his sheep. He will rescue his sheep and he will bring them home. Verse 13. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel 
and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in the pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. It's a glorious promise. The Lord himself will rescue the sheep. He will come down and rescue them. The scattered sheep, the sheep who are in danger, who are afraid, who need comforting. The Lord himself will come down and will shepherd his sheep. He will rescue his sheep. And in this, this Ezekiel passage, we see there's a promise that he will lie down in pleasant places, that they will feed on the lush green pastures. Green pastures. What does that remind you of? Psalm 23. He lets me rest in green meadows. What was promised to David in Psalm 23 is going to happen. But for the scattered people of Israel, it hadn't happened just yet. They were looking forward to a future rescue. And when Jesus came, the rescue promise was being fulfilled. Sheep who were without a shepherd were going to lie down on green pastures and find rest. And we see this in a really surprising place in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 6... Just before Jesus fed the 5,000, which is a kind of a shepherding kind of thing to do, we read this verse, verse 34. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. How did Jesus see them? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The scattered sheep that were spoken of in Ezekiel were now in the presence of their true shepherd. And so what did Jesus do when he saw the scattered sheep? He taught them. The gift of the good shepherd was to teach his sheep. He looked at them. He had compassion on them. His heart broke for them. Why? Because they were like scattered sheep Sheep without a shepherd. And so he loved them by teaching them. And he did that as he shepherded his sheep at that deserted place. How does Mark describe that place? Well, we read in verse 39 of chapter 6 that Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Why did he need to mention that the grass was green? Mark's a pretty tight gospel writer. He doesn't add any stuff that doesn't need to be there. Why would he say the grass is green? Well, surely what he's saying is that, that Jesus is the Lord of Psalm 23. He wanted us to know that he leaves me beside... He makes me lie down on green pastures. And Jesus is there, sheep without a shepherd, and he says he set them down on green pastures. Just in case you were asleep at the wheel and you didn't miss the connection, it's there so clearly. Jesus himself is God. God himself will shepherd his sheep, will gather his sheep, and here comes Jesus. 
And he does that very thing. He is the Lord, the shepherd from, from Psalm 23. And he is the one in Ezekiel 34. You see, this is why we love reading the Old Testament. If you're a new Christian, you're thinking, oh, there's just so many books and things to read. Don't stress about it. Just do a deep dive into the New Testament, get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They're a great spot to start. But as you're a Christian for a bit longer, head over to the Old Testament because you'll see what we otherwise would just see as a story. You see it come to life in 3D colour. Jesus says, Psalm 23, I'm that man. Ezekiel 34, I'm that man. And here he fulfills it all. But you want to see where he fulfills it the most? Well, it's John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He gathers the sheep there on the green grass to teach them. But that's not all. In fact, what he does is far more than just be a great teacher, far more than just be a great example. What he does as the greatest act is the the greatest act of that shepherd is to sacrifice himself. He loves his sheep so much that he chooses to give his life for their care. It's an extraordinary thing. It's an extraordinary thing to think that the shepherd would die for the sheep. He's not just showing them what life should be like or where to go. He's actually taking one for the team, for the flock. He's dying for them. And he does it for a reason. And that is because, verse 14, he knows us. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. The good shepherd knows his sheep so deeply. And you want to know how deeply he knows his sheep? Well, the next verse says this extraordinary thing. He says, just as my father knows me, Jesus, and I, Jesus, know the father. That is the way that he describes their knowledge, his knowledge of them. And because of that, he says, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus knows his sheep as well as the father knows the son. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who have lived together for eternity. They don't need to spend any more time with each other to get to know each other anymore. How about spending eternity? That is how much they know each other. And they say that they know us that way as well. No one knows us as well as Jesus knows us. Imagine what it's like to be known that well. You know, so many people come to God and they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to put on a, a special face. You know, the kind of the, 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 the miracle of the church car park. You know, you sort of, you turn up and it's kind of like, turn around, turn around. What did you wear that shoes for? Why were you like, and then you open up the door and you're sort of like, you know, like out of a, 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 a sort of a toothpaste commercial. Everyone's smiling. Everything's fine. There's been a miracle. You've got that face of everything's together. And we think we can turn up to God like we've just got out of the car and look, this is what my life's really like and I'm a really good person and this is why you should like me. But God's in the car. He knows what your life is really like. And I reckon that sometimes I think 
knowing what I know about myself and what I've done and who I am, I think, how could God possibly love me? And you might think in your own life that you have got a whole lot of heavy stuff in your life and there's no way that Jesus could love you. But you know what? He knows you better than you know yourself. And what does he choose to do with that? He chose chose to die for you. He chooses to be your saviour, even though he knows what a mess you are in. Nothing is hidden from the shepherd. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. No matter how much you try to impress him with your good works, no matter how much you try to hide from him your sin, no matter how much of a life of rebellion that you've lived against him, he knows you better than anyone. He knows your innermost heart. And because of that, he dies for his sheep. Only by his sacrifice can he save his scattered sheep. Only by his sacrifice can he be the shepherd of Psalm 23. Only by his sacrifice can he give us true rest, true leadership, true strength and true guidance. And only by his sacrifice will we enjoy that final feast That banquet of joy, that happens because Jesus died. It is such a good message. He is such a good Lord. Jesus is the good shepherd. So how do we know and grow in him? Well, Jesus chooses to use other shepherds, under shepherds. That's why we call our ministers pastors pastoral care the shepherd and the sheep pastors pastor the flock and we do so as shepherds who are under the good shepherd we're kind of being given the job of doing the same thing that the good shepherd does even though we're not the good shepherd and so as Jesus taught his sheep pastors need to share the word of God with their sheep and that teaching of the pastor's must be the teaching of Jesus. Uh, That seems really stupidly obvious, doesn't it? Pastors mustn't change the message and say, look, I reckon the good shepherd, I mean, he's good, but I'd like to say a few other things because I think I can put it better. Or I reckon I know them a little bit better than Jesus does. Or I reckon I I might be able to reach more people with the message of the good shepherd if I change his message a little bit and, and change what... People think of him a little bit. That'll work better, won't it? No. They are not good shepherds. They are bad shepherds. And if they do that, they will lead their sheep astray. Jesus talks about the hired hand who is not the shepherd. Back to John 10, verse 12. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. This guy's been throwing some money and said, hey, will you look after my sheep because I've got to go off and do something else. And he thinks, no matter how much money you pay me, when the wolf is coming, I'm going to run away. They're not my sheep. I don't care for them. And thanks for your money. You can have it back if you like. The hired hand doesn't care for the sheep in the same way that the good shepherd does. 
And that is exactly what happened to the people in the time of Ezekiel. Bad shepherds led God's people astray. And they were injured and scattered and killed. Those shepherds didn't show love to the sheep. And it is tragic. And so with this we come to the fourth and final Bible reading from 1 Peter chapter 5. Well, we read in this, in verse 1 and 2, it says, As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock, bah, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Pastors are to care for their flock because their flock has been entrusted to them by God. Tell you what, it is a humbling and terrifying thing to know that the Lord has entrusted me with you. It's like, Jody, don't mess this up. Because if you send people the wrong way, they'll go the wrong way and it'll be your responsibility. It is a terrifying thing to do that. We're told in the Bible not many of you should become who should seek to become teachers because you will be judged more harshly. Don't put your hand up to be a scripture teacher or a youth leader or a growth group leader or someone in pastoral care or in women's ministry, men's ministry or teaching scripture or whatever it is. Don't do it and say, yeah, whatever. You have got a massive responsibility and you will be judged more harshly as will I. The flock has been entrusted to us. And so pastors are to shepherd their sheep like Jesus does. And how did Jesus do that? Did he go around with all these bling and an expensive car with expensive sneakers and say, look at me, I am the king? He shepherded his sheep by laying down his life for them. If you watched the coronation last night, our King Charles was told about the example of Jesus. But the bit that wasn't spoken about nearly enough was the fact that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. That is what it means to be a true leader of God's flock. The verse was preached on the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And then he sat down. But it's the second bit that matters so much. Came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what it means to be a shepherd of God's sheep. And this needs to be done willingly out of a desire to serve God. We read in verse 3. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. That is what your shepherds have been told by God to do. And if you are a shepherd because you're leading youth or children or you're leading any particular area of life as a pastor, you yourself need to hear this as well. And you need to pray for those who pastor you as well. That... They will not lord it over the people under their care. There are too many pastors around who have done that and it is an absolute, utter train wreck. They need to lead by a good example. And they mustn't be bossy because we're serving like Jesus. 
And we serve, verse 4, because when the great shepherd appears, there it is again, the shepherd, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honour. That is why it is that we shepherd sheep. It's so that we receive that glory and honour that never stops. Shepherds serve their sheep knowing the crown of glory will come and that's why we all, as we are shepherded by others, we need to obey God's word by obeying our pastors. In Hebrews 13 it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. This is a word to us all, to me, to us all. Because we need to be people who are ready to hear the hard words of our pastors. I can think of times in my life when a pastor has said to me something that was far more than just uncomfortable. It was, it was downright painful as they said, J.D., you've got to stop doing this. And it was hard. It was kind of like the shepherd's there with the, the stick and he gave me a bit of a whack on the back. And it was in love. And so as we all are shepherded by other shepherds, we need to make it easy for them because it is a hard job. If you're a youth and your youth leader tells you some hard words, listen. They're loving you. It's much easier if they just say, hey, I'm the cool leader. I'm not going to tell you anything hard. All our under shepherds need to shepherd with love. And sometimes the loving words will be the hard words. I remember a, uh, it's, it, it's quite easy for shep, sheep to not react in the right way to their shepherds. I went to a pastor's conference a number of years ago and the conference speaker said to the pastors there, he said, beware, sometimes the sheep bite. I thought, ooh, it's an interesting thing to say at a pastor's conference. But I think I've bitten my shepherd sometimes too. It's an easy thing to do, whether we say it out loud or we do it just in our hearts. But even when the sheep bite, the shepherd needs to shepherd them well in truth. And the most important thing that a shepherd can do is to lead them the right way, not the wrong way. And to do that, shepherds must not teach the ways of the world. This is pretty obvious. If you're a shepherd under the great shepherd, the good shepherd, you need to be shepherding in his direction, his way, not your own way. But there are many who do not. And that's why Mandy, Barb and I travelled to Africa three weeks ago. We went to Kigali, Rwanda with 1,300 other Orthodox Anglicans for the fourth GAFCON conference. And as a part of that, all together, we prepared a statement called the Kigali Commitment. And it was at that moment when leaders representing 85% of global Anglicans 85%, that's 17 out of 20, if they're all in a room, 85% said that the Archbishop of Canterbury is no longer recognised by us as the first amongst equals in our denomination. No longer. And that happened because the General Synod of the Church of England voted to be welcoming a proposal for the bishops to make it possible to bless the unions of people in same-sex marriages. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said he welcomed it with joy. That shepherd. In doing so, 
he and others with them have shown that they've stopped listening to the Bible. They've gone astray. And so 85% of global Anglicans call on the Archbishop of Canterbury to repent. And for those who lead with him, to repent. They have chosen to bless activity that the Bible calls sin. That's not a good shepherd. A shepherd says, that's a danger, walk away from it. It doesn't say, oh, walk that way into the danger. The problem is that if they don't trust what the Bible says about sin, then they can't teach with certainty what the Bible says about salvation. And it's true for all of us. If we don't teach properly of sin, we can't promise salvation. And it's very, very serious. And the statement went on to say of the Archbishop Canterbury that this renders his leadership role in the Anglican Communion entirely indefensible and that the Church of England has chosen to impair, impair her relationship with the Orthodox provinces in the Communion. It is very serious and it is very sad. And as this statement was read out, there were people who were, were crying because of the way that the Anglican Church had departed. We need shepherds to teach their flocks the truths of Jesus, not the ways of the world. And those bishops in purple who have gone the way of the world and not the way of Jesus, they will be judged harshly. And we pray and call on them to repent and say, I've made a terrible error. I have said that we should bless that which God calls, calls sin. This is why GAFCON met. It's why we met to reset the Anglican Communion. And it's given us a new dawn for global Anglicans. Because although there was sadness in that room, there was also a, a sense of renewal, a, an expectation of revival, that we were coming back to God's word and listening to him, our great good shepherd, and saying, not my will but yours. We need to be people who follow good shepherds and not bad shepherds. And so this is a good day. It's a new day. It's a good day for the sheep. And it's a good day to be a sheep when we have Jesus as our shepherd. Because the Lord Jesus is our shepherd. And in him we have all that we need. He lets us rest in green meadows. He leads us beside peaceful streams. He renews our strength. He guides us along right paths, bringing honour to his name. And even when we walk through the darkest valley, we will not be afraid. For he is close beside us. His rod and his staff protect and comfort us.